Welcome to episode 11. Episode 11? How did we get this far? Well, this is episode 11, nonetheless, of the slide area, the podcast of all things slide guitar, lap steel, pedal steel, bottleneck, you name it, I try to cover it. I'm your host, Ed Pedersen. And this week, I have a long-anticipated journey with the great Canadian slide player and musician, festival organizer, writer, Doug Cox. Uh, it took me so long to get to this one because it was such a long and informative and enlightening interview with Doug that it took me this long to get back to it, to edit it properly and uh, get it sounding decent for y'all. And I think you'll enjoy it. Doug has a lot to share. He's had a lot of experience and um, he's a national treasure in Canada for good reason. He also led me to the bots, Salil and VM Bot, who I interviewed in London and I'll be getting to their interview soon. That's another massively long one. Uh, the one with VM is over two hours and Salil 35 minutes. So we'll get to that. That'll probably be like a two or three parter, but getting back to Doug, Doug's a, a really great and um, enlightening fellow, as I said, and has a lot to share and a lot to give. And I think you'll get a lot out of it. So without further ado, Doug Cox on the slide area. So tell me, uh, when you first started playing, did you immediately gravitate to slide or did you start out with regular standard tune guitar like, you know? I did, yeah. I started playing guitar when I was eight years old um, because of my sisters mostly who, who played. And they, you know, they were they were hobbyists. And then I, I fell in love with the guitar and I fell in love with, with singing, playing songs. Um, and then I heard slide guitar on recordings, but I didn't really know what it was at that point in time. I mean, I think the, some of my first memories of hearing slide guitar were, were um, John Baldry recordings, who I ended up, did you know who long John Baldry was? Sure. Um, I ended up playing with him, but I got to meet him at a pretty young age and we became friends. And, mm -hmm. and so I got exposed to bottleneck through people that were playing with him. And through his recordings, and then I got, I think the first Dobro I heard was, was probably Mike Aldridge on Linda Ronstadt's albums. Um, although at that time, I didn't even know that's what I was hearing. I just loved it, you know. Mm. And then I learned Bottleneck. Um, and then in the late 80s, I think it was, mid to late 80s, I produced a concert in Victoria on Vancouver Island. That's where I lived for, for Jerry Douglas and Peter Rowan and Mark O'Connor. And the next day I went out and there just happened to be a square neck dobro in a local music store. So I bought it. And, uh, and basically that changed everything for me as a musician because, um, within, you know, a, a ridiculously short period of time, people were calling me Canada's best dobro player. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because I was, you know, out of all three of us at that point in time. <laughs> and it was because I had a dobro, you know. Oh. Um, <laughs> so I did, I'd managed to flip over the techniques quite, quite quickly, I think. Um, and honestly, just fell in love with it to the point where just playing one note on the dobro was was so sensual. 
spiritual and magical to me. The tone, um, I just completely fell in love with it. And therefore was able to go through that initial painful process of learning how to play lap style um, without too much pain because I just, I just liked it so much that I didn't, you know, I didn't uh, suffer through the, the initial part as much as a lot of students seem to. Interesting. Um, yeah. Were you, uh, uh, <clears throat> go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm convinced as a teacher that um, for people that truly love the sound and feel of the instrument, they're learning and it's not, it doesn't take the effort that the word practice seems to have on other people. You know, you meet a lot of students that um, are looking for direction right. uh, to the point where they, they don't, they don't, they don't love the sound of the instrument so much that they're satisfied with just picking it up and, and you know, resting their chin on it or whatever and, <laughs> and experiencing the tone in, in the way that other people seem to really, really like, you know. Yeah. And yeah. for me, the, the dobro did that, you know. Um, I just I just loved it so much that I, I was able to practice for for a while, for five or six hours a day without, without even feeling the least bit of... Uh, uh, dread towards those hours that I was spending on it. That do, was the best time for do, me. Do you think that maybe slide guitar in general lends itself to that kind of seductive activity because of the, you know, the harmonics and the sympathetic strings and the fact that it actually does sing more like a human voice? Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's the closest thing to the human voice. That, that I've experienced as far as instruments go. You know, I, I think people that play violin might argue um, <laughs> because the violin's a fretless instrument too, but it doesn't have the tone to me because it doesn't have the bass right. um, that, that the slide guitar has, you know. So I, I love I love the violin as well, but it's, it's just not tonally in the same place, you know. Right. Um, I also think that, yeah, you can make any sound on... on on the slide guitar that you can make with your voice. You can also tease the the notes um, big time so you don't have to, you know, it can take you a long time to get to the note when you're playing slide guitar. Yep. <laughs> but it's part of the, the, the real pleasure of the, the instrument to me as well. And um, when you switched over, when you found that dobro and you switched over to dobro, did you... Sp- pretty much uh, put the bottleneck aside at that point, or did you shift back and forth? Um, I shifted back and forth out of necessity because I was making my living as a musician. So the only time I could really make my living as a dobro player was when I was either a, a, a real band member or an accompanist. Right. Um, the, that's the most frustrating, difficult thing to me about the, the lap style dobro is that you can you can't uh, you can't play by yourself for very long on that instrument because you can't spell out chords right um, with much success, and it doesn't really have the bass range that the guitar has. You know, I spend quite a bit of time on the guitar in in low tunings, either D or C. Um, and I can sing, and I can I can sit on a stage and and be part of a duo and present songs in a totally different way than I could, can on the dobro. So 
um, I kind of st- I kind of stayed busy on the guitar as well, and I also play mandolin and a little bit of piano and stuff. Um, and then the dobro took over. I mean, I got to be in the band as a dobro player. And uh, and was that an open I, G? Were you playing mostly an open G in the on the dobro? Yeah, um, yeah I always play an open G on the dobro in <laughs> standard dobro tuning. And uh, when I when I play bottleneck, I usually play in D. Did you um, start on standard though on the bottleneck, or did you always start on open tunings? I started in open E. Okay. And I started with the Stefan Grossman lessons. Ah. Um, that were, I think it was Stefan Grossman had a book out just called Slide Guitar, and he taught sort of the Dwayne Allman method of damping with the right hand. Which, which to me was the magical, I managed to learn that before I picked up the dobro, which made the dobro way easier for me because um, I'm sure as you know, when you're playing lap style, it's, you, you're stopping everything after you play it with both your right and your left hands, Yep. which is the, the hardest thing to learn, especially <laughs> as a guitar player, because when you learn standard guitar, you, you learn how to get your fingers out of the way. And when you learn dobro, you have to learn how to get them back in the way and <laughs> stop everything, right? <laughs> um, and I found that that was, you know, I was lucky in a way that I'd already learned part of that on the on the bottleneck. And then I became a dobro player kind of full time for for uh, a number of years, um, and got to work with. Um, I mean, I I was always consciously not trying to sound like Jerry Douglas because. I love Jerry Douglas, but everybody I heard was sounding like they were a decent copy of Jerry Douglas. Right. And I, I kind of thought, well, you know, I'm never going to be able to play as fast as him. And I love his playing, but I, I, I want people to, to hear me and, and recognize me. So I I sort of took some... Um, took some lessons from him for sure and, and, and by studying his recordings and that kind of thing and I studied with Bob Brosman and Sally Van Meter and Stacy Phillips in particular um, and then tried to create my own sound and also tried to move like I've never been a bluegrass musician so um, I tried to play with people from other cultures so I played with musicians from India and Tibet and Africa and China um, and tried to figure out the Indian musicians I worked with in particular was, was uh, Vishwam Mohan Bhatt and Salil Bhatt, who are, of course, great Indian slide players. And we, we made three records together, um, a group called Slide to Freedom. And then I worked a lot with singer-songwriters as an accompanist as well and tried to find a place in there. So that went on for quite a while. And then now, just over the last couple of years, I've gone back to... Um, the dobro really just being one of the things I do and, and really enjoying playing the guitar again and, and playing the mandolin and songwriting and producing and all that kind of stuff. So I, I now see it as as one thing that I that I do and not the main thing anymore. Although people out in the world would would think of me as a dobro player first, I would imagine. Oh, interesting. When you when you first started playing dobro and even continuing up until today, I would imagine like. What were your um, practice habits like? Like, how many hours a day did you put in in the beginning? And and then I guess if you're playing full time, once you get pretty good, you're just playing. But 
Um, can you talk about your practice habits uh, when you started out? Sure. Um, when I first started to play, it was I was kind of dabbling in it, so I was playing for like an hour a day, probably. And then, I, like I said, people started to call me this great player, and I thought, geez, I better, better actually, you know, get it together on this thing. <laughs> it was getting embarrassing because I really didn't feel like I like I knew what I was doing, you know. Um, so then there was one period of time for probably about five or six months where I was lucky enough to be able to stay home and just play for for five or six hours a day, which I did. And then I got really busy and I just practiced whenever I could. And when you're touring a lot, it's really hard to practice because it's hard to practice on the road. So you end up just basically doing what you do at night on the stage. Um, (laughs) Now I'm back home and I'm not touring as much and I'm I'm working on my music all the time again and and loving it. Um, That split between three instruments and between learning the material for whatever the current projects are that I'm working on and doing session work at home, which I do quite a bit of for people. So people send me their tracks and I play on them and send them back. So, I mean, I probably work on my music for probably four hours a day, you know, when I'm, when I'm at home. Um, on a good day, I can, I can spend a little bit of time on each instrument, which is what I'm trying to do now. Right. You still got to cover a lot of ground, I guess, because you're playing with other people and they might want one person might want you for mandolin and, you know, somebody else might want you for guitar. And I'm sure they might want you on all of it, you know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not doing that much side guy stuff, though, at this point. I'm either I'm either I'm kind of more doing my own thing. Mm. Um, So that involves I usually have a acoustic guitar. Uh, sort of an aluminum resophonic mandolin, mm-hmm. um, a dobro, a brass guitar, and a, a, a mando guitar, like the one Rykuder played, basically. That's sort of my arsenal usually when I'm on stage. And I tend to go back and forth between all those instruments. And uh, are, are, are any of them uh, in standard tuning still at all? or? Yeah, the, the acoustic guitar is. The acoustic. Uh, yeah, not always. Like, I, I retune it between songs and stuff, but a lot of the time it lives in in standard tuning. And then I have um, a whole bunch of instruments at home, like everybody. <laughs> but I've got some weird slide instruments. Like, I have a, a double neck Weisenborn um, oh. that was made for me by a, a guy in Canada. And I have a Mohan Vina that used to belong to Vishwal Mohan Bhatt, which is the, you know, you know who he is, I imagine. Yeah, and I've seen those amazing Indian slide instruments. They're crazy. Yeah, it is a crazy instrument. Yeah. Um, and after t- touring with those guys, it's uh, it's an instrument that I almost am afraid to touch because they th- their style of playing is just so... Um, off the wall and, and they've devoted their lives to it and it feels almost disrespectful to me to kind of goof around on it <laughs> um, which is really what I do you know yeah, and yeah. then I have a teardrop baritone wise and born and I have a one of my favorite instruments is a aluminum wise and born with a national style cone in it um, that was made by a, a friend in England named Bill Little 
um, and his instruments are called Gadgy Guitars, G-A-D-G-I-E, and he's passed away um, about five years ago, but I have one of his wizen, it's like a, it's like an aluminum wizen board with a cone in it. Mm. And that's the main instrument I played with the Indian guys. Um, and then I also have his, one of his mandolins, which is a gorgeous aluminum resophonic mandolin as well. And well, I have a, you know, a and, bunch of other stuff kicking around a lot steel uh, and lots of different Dobros and wizen boards and things. Did you, uh, as far as like, uh, you know, with the, 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 the steel Weisenborn aside, since that's a whole nother thing. Um, you know, I always wondered, you know, the guys who do play Dobro, how they, cause you don't see too many people gravitating towards the Weisenborns for live use anyway. Um, the wood ones, you know, the traditional ones. Um, how do how do you feel? About, you know, did, did did the Dobro just cut more for you live, or did you get introduced to Weissenborn later, so you were already like you know comfortable with the Dobro? I got introduced to it later, mm. um, for sure, and it's it's definitely a different touch. It's almost for me to, to play the Dobro, you really dig in, right? To get tone, um, you could really you, you really have to dig in. Um, the, the Weisenborn, it's, it's almost like the opposite of that. It's, it feels like such a fragile, delicate thing. Yeah. That it is a totally different touch. And I, I definitely prefer the Dobro myself. Um, when I play the Weisenborn instruments, I take off all my picks and um, play very, very lightly. Although I do love my double neck because it's, it's really fun because I've got one neck tuned to D and one to G, so I can slide. <laughs> So I'd do a D chord on one neck and then hit the chord on the other neck, and it's uh, quite a unique sounding thing, you know. That's fantastic. Really fun. Oh, that's great. And also, like I, I play a fair bit of lap steel um, tuned to dobro tuning as well on an old Ricky that I have, um, and I can dig in real hard on that too. But I, I tried pedal steel once. I had a this really cool homemade pedal steel guitar that a guy who worked for um he was an airplane repairman so he made this thing himself with with airplane wire and stuff and it had three pedals and you could either set it to tune a string up or tune a string down with each pedal mm. um and i played that for a very short period of time i ended up playing on a irish rovers record if you know oh yeah the irish rovers sure it's just funny. It's the only time I ever played pedal steel. And they, I just happened to get this instrument. And they phoned and said, do you know anybody that plays pedal steel? I said, well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and played on, on one of their tunes. And, and then I realized that if I was going to do that, it would have taken over everything. Um, yep, yep. It's a whole different mentality. And it's a whole different touch again. And it's a whole different style of uh, right hand block picking and that kind of thing. So I decided I didn't want to. I didn't want to um, devote my life to the pedal steel, which also happened when I was playing piano. Um, I used to play piano, and I would sometimes play it for three or four hours a day, and then go out and do gigs at night on guitar. And it was silly because it was like if I'm going to be a piano player, I have to give everything else up and just play the piano. Right. Um, and I felt the same way about the pedal steel. So, <laughs> so I, I sold that and. and uh, sometimes regret it because I love that instrument but I don't I, I can't function myself well enough to switch channels that fast to be a pedal steel player 
it, it's pretty hard. Yeah, I, it's very rare <clears throat> that, excuse me, that I see guys who can competently do both. I mean, Al Perkins is amazing. You know, I'll do a session with him and he'll play the amazing pedal steel. And then he'll go like, oh, you want me to put some Dobro on this? Yeah. And I'll be like, oh, Al, please, man, you, you're killing me. So, is he still around? Is he still <laughs> Yeah, he lives here. Active? Oh, yeah. He does. Well, I never never hear his name anymore. He's a very quiet, you know, it's, it's interesting with all the stuff he's done in his career. He's very quiet, unassuming guy. Um, never. He, it's weird, you know, if you don't know him, he would recommend somebody else for a gig before he'd ask for it himself. That's what kind of guy he is, you know? Um, but, but the people who know him or know how to get in touch with him, he's, he's, he keeps playing. I see him. I I remember there was something a couple of weeks ago and, and there was Al, you know, on this session playing, uh, pedal steel for this record coming out on rounder and and i was like well there you go somebody had his number because you know he's he's happy to do it um he's just a really sweet unassuming guy i met him when i was um when i was about 18 years old i, I worked for the edmonton folk festival and um i was like a, a kid who didn't i didn't know who any of these musicians were at that time and he was there with Vassar clements and chris hillman I can't remember who else, but he was, everybody else, I was just kind of like this pesky, enthusiastic kid that was around these guys. <laughs> he was really kind to me. I'll never forget that. You know, he kind of pulled me aside and just made a point of talking to me and, and that kind of thing. He was just the nicest guy in the world, you know. Still, still is one of the best, uh, I'll tell you a great little quick Al story. I was doing a session, and I try to get Al on every session that needs that stuff um because it, and it's for this reason i was doing a session it was you know when i probably first got to nashville i would maybe been here a year and uh, somehow i got lucky enough to get hooked up with them so i'm doing the session and i'm producing and i'm in the control room and <clears throat> we were trying to cut something live with the singer and had a bunch of acoustic musicians in a circle and it was all really mic'd well you know i had the Bob Olson from Motown had mic'd everything. It just was beautiful. And, but there, just something wasn't blending right on the first take. So Al gets out of his chair and comes into the control room and and whispers to me, he's like, hey, um, I, you know, I didn't want to say this over the mic. So um, if, uh, you know, if I can make a suggestion that um, like maybe the way to go for this is that I play, instead of playing banjo, live with the group let me play dobro or mandolin even better first and let me overdub those instruments because i think that's what's interfering with the other microphones (laughs) that's great and he was right of course, but he had the respect to not say it over the live mic so that everybody could hear it right yeah that's al perkins man no, I totally got that feeling from him. Well, it's good to hear he's still out there. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he's still. Love to see him again one of these days. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's trying to uh, he's trying to get out and about. I ran into a, a guy in Norway who was putting on a festival and asked me if uh, if he could get Al to play. And I'm like, you really? 
I'm like, I'll call him right now. <laughs> you know? I'm, sh- I'm sure he'd love to. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's just funny. You run into like, you know, this guy in Norway who is an, uh, the first person he asks you for is Al Perkins. You know? Um, right. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, funny. Um, uh, let, let me ask you about, um, so we, we talked about some of your acoustic instruments. Um uh, what do, is there anything specific in way of electric guitars and amplifiers that you want to talk about, and and or or your amplification for the acoustic instruments because that could be interesting to some people. Well, sure. Um, boy, where do I start? I, I have to say, I'm not really a tech head to start with. I just I'm always just I pick up an instrument and I either like it or I don't. Doesn't right. matter how expensive it is or that kind of thing. So. My Dobros are made by Reiko Resophonics, which is a Canadian company. Um, and I have a signature model that they make now for me, which is um, way bassier and quieter than most, most what people think of as sort of the sheer horn sound, you know. Mm. Maybe not bassier, but just quieter. And, uh, to me, a little bit uh, easier to control. <laughs> and a sheer horn, which is sort of, I guess, the... To my mind, the kind of what most people think of as the Rolls Royce of Dobros now, right? Right. Is that because um, of the I, woods? Uh, are they using like a different type of wood combination, or uh, they do something specific with the resonator part? With with my model, you mean? Or with yeah, your with your model, as opposed to. Um, the... I think it's the choice of wood. It's it's also the the uh, bracing on the inside of the instrument. Ah, uh, yeah. The way the box is built and that kind of thing. Ah, uh, of course. Um, they take the screens out, which which automatically gives you way more bass. Um, and if they have those little screens in them, nice. And they just they have a nicer uh, bass sound, which I, I wanted to be able to play with the singer songwriters without blasting them off the stage, basically. But I also want to really be able to dig in and get some tone, right? Right. And I found that the the bluegrass model of modern dobro is just way too loud for that in general especially if you're doing house concerts and that kind of thing and you're playing unamplified <laughs> i don't want my dobro to to be louder than the singer yeah, sure. <laughs> necessarily so i and when i'm amplify it my favorite um pickup is the shirtler pickup nice. um and i've got the little shirtler preamp and that's still my favorite one um, and basically I plug it in and, and have the sound guy turn the treble all the way down, all the way <laughs> off, basically. And then it sounds, it sounds good to me. You know, it, it sounds as good as anything. Like it, amplifying the dobro is a nightmare, you know. Yeah. I know a lot of folks like to use the Jerry, the Jerry Douglas um, modeling things and, and that kind of thing now, but... I, I, I'm not fond of that sound unless it's Jerry doing it himself. It, to me, it, it sounds some kind of funny on stage when I hear other people using that. And then I'll usually throw a mic on it too, you know, if I can. Yeah, you just got to keep it kind of down, I guess, right? So it doesn't feed back, you know, it's got to be a blend sort of thing. Yeah, usually if I'm playing with a, with a, with a singer-songwriter on stage, though, I don't, we don't put the dobro through the monitors. Um, I always say it is a monitor, you know. Of course. It's blasting right into your face. So, um, 
I usually have in my in my monitor on stage if I'm playing with one other person I have their instrument and their vocal and my vocal and, and often none of my instrument in the monitor at all sometimes just a little bit and sometimes they ask for a little bit in their monitor that makes sense um, I know that Reiko now uses the Fishman pickup that's the one that the Mark who works for Reiko prefers now but He's put one in my newest one, and, and I don't like it as much as the hmm. Schertler. Yeah. Um, and what I about use... tone bars? Like, uh, is there anything, um, is there any specific model that you use? Um, I used one that was that was uh, a copy of the original Shearhorn bar. Okay. So I got one of the original Shearhorns, and then I, I found a metal worker in... Uh, on Vancouver Island here that would make that made me a, a, about 10 copies of that bar and it's a little bit smaller than the, the Chiron bar you get now it's not quite the same so that's my favorite bar oh interesting um for, for bottleneck uh, there's a guy out of Oregon who makes slides called Paloma and they're ceramic stone slides and oh, nice. I love them and they're like I don't know if you've ever found those ceramic slides that you can buy in music stores, but they chip real easy and they break. They're the blue ones. I forget what they're called. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the shine or something like that? Something like that. Sorry. No, no, I like those, you know, like, uh, and I don't know if this company is still around, but you remember Big Heart Slide Company? Um, they no, were, I don't, don't know those Oh, ones. yeah, I think they were out of, like, San Francisco, um, or something there on the Upper West Coast. I guess not that far from you. Um, and uh, anyway, I ordered a bunch from them where they 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 took a measurement of my ring, my, my pinky finger on my left hand, and sent me a bunch of them. And those have never chipped, you know. Oh, um, okay. So 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 I I highly agree that the ones you just get in the store, I'm not really sure they're worth, you know. If you like, yeah, they don't. Yeah, I, I used to go through all kinds of those. So the Palomas are—they—they uh, they, seems like the finish on them is better, huh. and they sound great. So that's that's what I use now for bottleneck. And then for the Weisenborns, I I still like Sunrises if I can get them. I have a couple of Sunrise pickups <laughs> nice. um, that I use in those. Um, and in the acoustic, I, do you have a Sunrise as well? In the acoustic, it's uh, right now. It's just a Fishman. Gotcha. Like I, what's it called, a rare earth or something like that? Yes. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and that's a good one. I like and, that one. Yeah. And then for my my brass guitar and my aluminum Weisenborn, I use K and K pickups, which I love. And they're they're super cheap. Um, and I can't tell you the model. I don't remember what it is. But they're made for resophonic for national-style resophonic instruments. Oh, interesting, yeah. And they're really great. I just love them. They sound fantastic. And you're um, not using a DI box? You're just going right to the house when you're plugging in? No, I use a DI. I use a, a radio tone, tone bone, I think it's called. Okay. It's made by radio, and it's, uh, it's a, I can plug two instruments in, and each instrument has its own volume control and mute and uh, very... N not very impressive tone controls on the thing. Right. But it sounds okay. Or else I'll just use a DI sometimes too. 
I prefer radial DIs. Well, because they're Canadian. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> they sound better than anything else. <laughs> it's funny, most of my instruments are Canadian. Like my, my, all my Wizen boards are Canadian, my Dobros are Canadian, my, my guitars are Canadian, um, my brass guitar is Canadian. So, yeah, but I, I don't know why that is. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> We're noticing a theme here, my friend. <laughs> yeah, although my electric guitars aren't like that. Like my newest electric guitar is a K Jimmy Reed model um, reissue, which I just got about three weeks ago. Oh. And I love it. I'm crazy about it. Um, oh. I have a Les Paul and I have a 335 Epiphone. Those are my main electrics. And what and about, uh, how about amps? Do uh, you, you, you do ever, when you do use an amp, or do you have any recommendations? Well, I have an old magnetone that I love in my studio. Um, and it's the model that Lonnie Mack used. I can't remember what that is either. I'm sorry, I'm not much of a gearhead. Um, <laughs> That's okay. But I love that amp. And it, I wouldn't I wouldn't take it on the road or anything. Um, you... Just a Fender Twin or whatever's, whatever's around, you know. Right. Right. I like Vox amps. I like Roland Jazz Course amps. If if I can run it through something else at the same time. Right. Do you um? I noticed you said that just to get back to the lap for a second. You said that the you're you're playing lap steel when you do play it in G, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of unique in itself, too. No. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have the country swing sound at all that you'd have with the, you know, a sixth tuning or a ninth tuning. Um, and I just play. I use that tuning because it's the tuning I know best of all. So it allows me to improvise comfortably. Um, one of these days, I have a million books and videos on how to play lap steel and the various tunings that I want to, I want to get into, but I haven't yet. Do you um do you, do you overdrive it at all with the amp or any other effects in front of it, or you just play it clean? Um, I do both. I've I've started to move away from the pedals, but I used to have um, I have a volume pedal, of course, which I use all the time. Mm. I used to use a pod and mess around with all kinds of things, and I have a octave pedal, which was really fun. Um, voila. Course reverbs and courses. Yeah, I used to I used to mess around with all that stuff a lot mm. on the lap steel. Um, depending on what we were doing, it was really it's really fun to do that, you know. Exactly. Now I, I don't play it as often anymore. So if, usually I just I'm just too lazy. I just bring my volume pedal in an amp and use that. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> I know. I know what it's like. It gets. <laughs> You know, you just start getting like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. And there's a new there's a new reverb pedal, which I haven't got yet, but I, I can't remember. I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's like Nurum something or other. Have you seen those? They're, they're, they seem to be made specifically for, or they're used by a lot of slide players. Oh, I wonder which I'd one. I have that... to look at it's pretty expensive. I, I went and looked at it, and it was it was a pretty pricey foot pedal. But it's the reverb just sounds gorgeous from the demos. Oh, you got to find out what that is because I there, I, I try to follow a lot of the <clears throat> newer stuff, and I try to check it out when I can. Or 
if they let me or if I have to buy it, you know. Um, sure. But, you know, reverb is the most elusive, I find, to get it really good. I'll find out, Ed, and I'll, I'll email it to you. Yeah. I have it in my, in my studio computer. Um, I'll email you what it is. There's, there's also a processor pedal that, that, that I believe is being made in the U.K. that claims to be the the closest thing to Lowell George's sound. Oh, I've tried um, that. I've tried what do you it. think of that? Origins, yeah. Um, well, here's the thing. I mean... I don't, you know, people overuse compression, in my opinion, you know, um, uh, but I understand, I, I understand its usefulness in slide, though, however, you know, for the sustain and everything, but, but, you know, the way the, that company did a really good job. Let me just say that, like, they have two models. They have one which is just like a single 1176 with, you know, attack and release and, and, uh, and, you know, um, levels of four to one to 12 to one or something like that compression. And, and that one sounds really good. And it can be, if you get the transformer version, you can use it as a DI and it's great. It's great. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. But the, the Lowell George model that they put out, I bought one and it's really cool, but I thought it was a little bit of overkill because as you know, the Lowell George thing was two 1176s chained together, right? But then he was running it into a dumble, you know? Um, and, and Lowell had that like very ringy, um, you know, he liked the, he, he used the higher strings a lot more than most slide guys, I would say, um, and really got it to sing. But when you, when that pedal, like I always found I wasn't using like, cause you have a foot switch on this, on this particular origins, uh, Lowell George thing compressor, and you can use one or you can hit the second foot switch to, to chain them together. And I just thought it was squashing the living hell out of everything, you know, oh, okay. even at moderate settings and, and, you know, the lowest ratio you could go was four to one. Um, and so you do four to one to four to one and you're, you're even at that low setting, you're kind of squashing the hell out of everything. Um, right. And so I thought it, it always seemed to me that when I used it, I had to bring it alive with some other overdrive or something after it to bring back some of the harmonic content. That was just, oh, okay. that was, that was my, pre but it was super cool. It's actually, it's called the slide rig is what that one, right. the, yeah. the dual yeah. chained one. But the one that wasn't dual chained, I thought was, was really superb. But the, the one that I've ended up using, um, Getting back to Canada is the Empress. You know the Empress uh, people up there in Canada. They, yeah, there's a there's an effect there's an effects company called Empress Effects, and um, I think they're based near Toronto. I can't remember, but they make some of the best effects um, in the world, in my opinion. But particularly their compressor, which David Torn turned me on to. Um, it, it allows you for parallel compression so you can blend in your clean signal. And, oh, 
have, I'll have to search for that. I, I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And it goes down as far as two to one uh, compression, which, you know, from, from most slide players, like unless you're going for that little George thing in particular, you know, you don't really need more than two or three to one. Um, you know, but that's just my opinion. I mean, I, I don't, sure. wanna, I don't, I don't uh, want to make anybody think that that's gospel or anything, but, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, but, but yeah, Empress, uh, really makes a superb compressor up there, man. You, if you want to keep it oh, in Canada. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm also, of course, a strong believer that it's not, you know, Lowell George would always sound like Lowell George, no matter what he plugged into. And it's not, you're yes. not going to get a pedal that. That makes you sound like anybody. There you go. That's 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 what I'm thinking. And the other thought I would throw in that we I'll, I'll make a point to put into the, the chapter with you in the book is that because I think this is important for anybody uh, who hasn't been around the music business a long time. I I I, I sort of because I went back to listen because I'm a huge Little Feet fan and I don't think that's what he was doing all the time. Right, yeah, probably not. I don't think every song has got an old two eleven seventy sixes, you know, and yeah. certainly not live, you know, so so I don't want you know, people shouldn't like I'm a gearhead, but I don't think people should spend money on stuff, you know, just because some guy used it. So Oh, I agree completely. I mean that's but that's such a huge part of the whole music industry now, isn't it? It is. Um I said, uh, Richie, Richie Hayward was a really good friend. He lived here when he passed away. Um, and I did the last interview with him. Oh. I'm just telling you this, because you said you're a big Little Feet fan. If you go, I think it's on the archive page of my website. Um, oh, if it's wow. not, I'll find it and send it to you. But I did a, like a two-hour interview with him um, just oh, before wow. he died. We just sat down and talked. Oh man, that's cool. If you're, if you're into it, it's a it's a really great uh, great interview. I'm really pleased that I did it, you know, because I felt like no one really did a great interview with him ever. So um, to be quite a and and I produced a music festival here called Vancouver Island Music Fest, and and the last gig he did with Little Feet was at our festival. Um, we brought Little Feet into say goodbye to Richie, basically, not knowing whether or not he'd have the strength to play with them. And he got up and, and uh, did three or four songs, and it was so amazing because... I heard about this somewhere on the web. Yeah. Right? Well, he, did, he, was, he was barely able to stand. He was, he was so tired and sick, and, and then he walked out there and just took the band of Mars, you know, and then came back and collapsed and... About three weeks later, he was gone. So, oh. and that's on that's on YouTube too. That performance, if you if you look for Vancouver Island Music Fest, Richie Hayward, you'll probably find. Wow, find that there, you know. Wow, that's awesome. That's just awesome. Yeah. Wow. Oh man. Well, um, is there anything else like, uh, oh, one other thing I wanted to ask you, because I don't want to keep you all freaking day. We could go on forever. Um, uh, is there right, a, compared, to, compared to what else I have to do today, this is, this is going to be the highlight of my day. <laughs> <laughs> well, me too. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm writing, I wrote a concert, uh, uh, an electric guitar concerto. 
Uh-huh. Um, and part of it's on slide, actually. And uh, but 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 the, you know, I would recommend to anybody who thinks about getting into that man is like you, you got to consider the rat hole you're going down. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you have to score it for these guys, right? You know, um, for thirty three pieces other than yourself, and it all has to be gridded and barred and 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 to the precise tempo with all of the you know the notation and uh, so <laughs> so no this is this is the highlight of my day too man because <laughs> well you know one other thing that, that, that's always amazed me especially about the dobro world um is that the brotherhood of it is uh is really unique because um the guitar world can be quite competitive and unfriendly and kind of snobby yeah um and i don't know if you found this but the the dobro world is it's like you can call anybody and anybody will share any information and it's just it's just like this this club <laughs> of people that are all really open and friendly to each other you know it's, it's one of the things i love about it as well it might have something to do with the sense of wonder that you all have that i've noticed from seeing guys get because i have a friend of mine who's like you know he loves jerry too and you know so like the idea of being able to talk to him you know not like schmooze with him or germ him you know just to be able to talk to him about the, the you know the you know your approaches and whatever like he, he became like a 12 year old kid again you know so it's like that sense of wonder maybe with the dobro and you guys that's where that brotherhood might come from yeah, I guess so. I mean, and it is a, it's a hard thing to, to start off on. It's not like put your first finger in the first fret of the first string and yeah. pretty well guaranteed you're going to get some sort of decent sound, right? Right, it right. It doesn't work that way with the dobro. <laughs> right, right. It's like, it's like being a hockey player in a school, a, a football school. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Um, what else were they going to ask? Let's see. Uh, oh, the one last question is there, uh, and if you think of anything after we're done talking that, that I didn't cover by all means, you know, shoot me an email or something. If there's something that, uh, you know, you think of and go, Oh, I meant to, you know, by all means, don't, don't feel bad about, uh, uh, making sure that I didn't uh, space out over stuff. But, um, I was going to ask, is there, if you, uh, if you had some like for people starting out if you could recommend uh, some some artist in particular and, and and especially any recordings that they could go listen to to, to get into stuff well, do, do you, could you think of anything that you would recommend for young oh ones? boy i mean it would, that's hard just don't think of one thing you know or a couple you know a few um, like a, a like a handful that you would say, Hey, go find this stuff and check it out. If that might not be obvious. Um, well, for me, I mean, the, the obvious ones are, are like Ry Cooter, David Lindley, um, Sally Van Meter on the Dobro, Stacy Phillips on the Dobro for the Stacy Phillips is like the mad professor of Dobro, you know? Yeah. Um, he's the guy who's pushed it as far as, as far as anybody. Um, I, I, I've got a bunch of music I need to send you. Like, I produced a, a Stacy Phillips CD. It was a duo CD of him and a guy named Paul Franklin. Oh, yeah, Paul's great, favorite. yeah. Sorry, not Paul 
Frank with, what am I saying, Paul Howard. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> and it's, uh, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite Dobro CDs, but it's, it's totally Stacy, which is always out there. But when I did that, um, we're talking 20 years ago, and I was such a big fan that he must have thought I was a total goof as a producer because he'd do something and, and I'd just be so floored that it was like everything he did was amazing. <laughs> and he kept wanting to go back and do things and I was just there with my mouth open. <laughs> he said, not a good thing for a producer to be like that. <laughs> you know? Do you mind if we, if we just stop and you can show me how you did that? So I'll, oh, send, you, I'll send you a copy of that. And, oh, I'd and love you'll it. have to send me your address. And, I will. Um, I think if you're interested in lap steel, you should definitely listen to the the sacred steel players. I don't know if you've talked to any of them, but um, the Campbell brothers, you know. Um, I mean, most people would say Robert Randolph, but I think some of the some of the other guys like Calvin Cook, um, the Lee the Lee boys, um, for expression and. Uh, a lot of people, when they play lap steel guitar or dobro, they end up trying to sound like someone. If, if, if they want to play blues, they'll, they'll try to sound like a blues guitar player, right? Right. Which is kind of pointless. You might as well just play blues guitar if you're going to do that because it's really hard to sound like that on the dobro. So I think that the sacred steel players are kind of the, the core of the blues for a lot of slide stuff, you know, um, Roosevelt, can't remember his last name, but he plays with the Lee boys. Um, and he's, when he's playing with the Lee boys, he's a steel player, but boy, he's the best blues dobro player I've ever heard. Definitely check out VM bot, you know, and, and go, go past the album he made with Fry Cooter, which is the one that most people have heard. But listen to some of his stuff and that'll, that'll, blow your mind wide open as a slide player um, or to his son Salil Bot as well and I'll send you some of that stuff too that would be great thanks man uh, just send me your address I will I will uh, for Bottleneck um, of course Sonny Landreth you know um, as the modern guy I guess um, my favorite slide player is Ry Cooter Bottleneck player yeah um, Leo Kotke when he was playing slide did some gorgeous things as well. Yeah, it's been um, a while for him, actually, yeah. He's he's one of my favorite guitar players by far. I, I, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time now listening to, to non-slide players and trying to move some of the stuff that they do or, or that was inspired, that inspires me by them and into my slide playing. Um, I think if you just try and copy slide players, that's what you're going to sound like is a copy of of another slide player, you know. That's really that, smart, and I that's really smart. I think that's a really good thing for people to to know and to think about. You know, um, I think that's that's a really really that's one of the best comments I've ever heard. Is to you know why why do you just want to listen to slide guys? And, yeah, you know, well, I mean, I think it's a, it's an interesting instrument too because you you automatically have your own sound a lot faster than you do if you're playing guitar because yep. of the pressure of the bar, your vibrato, your sense of um, 
where exactly a note lives. You know, um, a note is a pretty wide thing in my opinion, and you can play the note slightly flat, you can play it slightly sharp, you can play dead on. You know, there's a width that you can get away with to that, (laughs) I think, you know. And I think that there's stylistic things in in slide playing where where to me, if I'm listening to a a super bluesy player or like a a Rykuter style player, when he slides up to the note to my ear, his vibrato goes from the note below the note and back up to the note. He never goes sharp. If I'm listening to a great Hawaiian slide player, um, to me the vibrato seems to land on the note and then go above and below the note. And that's what I think creates a big difference between the Hawaiian sound and the blues sound. Um, I also think if you're a bluegrass musician, your sense of where the beat is is different from whether or not if you're a blues musician uh, I always hear blues musicians as as being laid back players that play behind the beat um, and and drag the beat quite a bit whereas bluegrass players play right on the beat right I think you know these are all just my opinions right but um, that's how I see it yeah uh, yeah, but uh, you know, you, uh, to me, you can you can really hear the difference there. And one of the things that Richie Hayward showed me that just completely blew my mind was one time we were just talking and he was playing beats with his hands. And Richie Richie practiced pretty well right up till the day he died. By the way, he took his practicing very seriously. But he would play the beat and then he'd say, "Okay, now this is." He'd play on the beat with one hand, with his right hand, and then he'd play behind the beat with his left hand, and then he'd switch and he'd play on the beat with his left hand and play behind the beat with his right hand and then he played in front of the beat and he, he was able to do anything like that with the beat with both hands you know Amazing. consciously which just I've never seen anybody do that before it's astounding you know yeah and I think that as a slide player there, there's that that approach to the rhythm but there's also the approach to the actual note itself so when you're playing, the minute you pick up a slide, you, you automatically have this thing with your own vibrato and your own uh, sense of tone that that automatically, to my ear, gives you your own voice way faster than if you're just playing a, a standard instrument where you put your finger on a specific place and it sounds it sounds like something, right? Whether right. you're a piano player or a, or, or a fretted instrument player. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the magic, you know, then your, your ability to relax is critical when you play slide guitar. You cannot be tense or it comes through immediately, you know, whereas, whereas it's a little bit easier to get away with being a guitar player and and have have some tension in your body, which is why most of the really great slide players just look like slugs on stage, right? (laughs) (laughs) They just, they look like they might as well just fall over and go to sleep. <laughs> and I'm the most exciting guys to watch usually. You don't usually see them posing, you know. Yeah, true. <laughs> or, make, or making guitar face, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're too, wor- too worried about their intonation. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to be relaxed. You, you absolutely... One of the other things I'll, I'll tell my students when they're... If they're standing when they play, is to stand on the on the back of their feet, not on the front of their feet, depending on on what they're playing. Because if you're if if you do that, it it sets up your rhythm in a totally different way, you know. 
Oh, wow. And it seems, seems like the blues, the blues guys tend to always be leaning back, right? Right. And the bluegrass guys always seem to be uh, on the tips of their toes, pushing forward, <laughs> kind of. And if you watch, even even watch Jerry Douglas's body language, when he switches between those two things, you'll see, you'll see physically a change in his posture, you know, when he does that stuff. And I, I think that that... That's a big part of being a slide player too. Is is uh, wow. being able to develop that kind of attitude. Well, naturally, of course, you can't you can't fake it, but you have to be relaxed. You know, you, you can't you can't be um, tense or it comes through immediately. Oh, very smart. Well, thanks for that's excellent excellent advice to end the interview on. Okay. Thanks, man. That's brilliant. I really appreciate well, it. Talk to you. You too, man. We got to do it again sometime. Well, I'll let me know when you come to town too, and I'll send you my uh, I'll send you my address. Okay, yeah, I'd love to meet you. So again, thanks to Doug Cox for sitting down with me for that long interview. But I got a lot out of it, and I hope you did too. Here on the slide area, um, we talk about gear. We talk about the bots. We talk about sacred steel, which, by the way, led me to interview Calvin Cook and some others. And I posted the Calvin Cook. We'll be getting to some others pretty soon. And I usually don't give away who next week's slide interview will be. But this week I am because I already decided. So I'll share it with you. Next week is original Fleetwood Mac member Jeremy Spencer on the slide area. So look forward to that. That'll be episode 12. Thanks again for sharing these uh, moments with me. And if you have any... uh, comments, input, questions, please let her rip. Until then, I'm your host, Ed Pedersen. Thanks for listening on The Slide Area.